This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. It's Chrysomania, brother. That's a great question. Look at you, man, with the powerful questions. Woo! This is the Chris Van Vliet Show. Chris Van Vliet Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! Welcome back to the Chris Van Vliet Show. Or if it's your first time here, welcome. How are you? How's the family? This episode is brought to you by Bet Online and Blue Chew. And thank you for again putting the show in the Apple Top 200. Mmm! It's so cool to scroll through that list and like Colin Coward's on there and Dan Patrick's on there. Shows from ESPN and Fox Sports and Barstool Sports. Of course, Talk is Jericho's on there. And there's me. There's my logo. Well, it's me pointing kind of under the logo. I don't know what's going on in that picture. Kind of pointing under the logo. Um, but yeah, so cool. So thank you for everything you do to help share the show and help get it out there. And just just by listening right now. Um and, you know, I don't ask for much. I don't have a Patreon, but I got to tell you, I get pretty excited when you take a screenshot and you tag me on Instagram or you tag me on Twitter and you let me know you're listening or you're watching a YouTube video. It's just, it's so cool to know that we are in this thing together. And for this episode, it's me and it's you and it's Aiden English all together. And what a criminally underrated performer he is. He was part of some interesting storylines with the VOD villains, of course, Rusev Day, but he's someone who I feel like truly never had a chance to shine. And since he was part of that big talent release that happened on April 15th, that was exactly one month ago. I feel like, man, it feels like so long ago in some ways, but also so like soon, like so recent in some ways. But I feel like after this release, we're going to truly see what he's capable of. I got to tell you, I'm so grateful for these reviews you've been leaving. I know not everyone listens on Apple Podcasts. I see the numbers, uh, but for everyone who is listening on their iPhone, I appreciate you taking the 27 seconds out of your day to leave these reviews. We had 885 when the hurricane interview dropped on Tuesday. We now have 928 just a few days later. Oh, man. So the new goal is 1,000 reviews before the show turns one year old on June 28th, our podcast anniversary, And this is totally going to happen now. It's totally going to happen because of you. And you're really the best part of the show. Otherwise, 
It would just be me in my spare bedroom that I call an office, but it's really a spare bedroom because it has an actual bed in it, which my microphone is resting up against right now. There it is. That's how you know it's a bedroom. So I really appreciate you leaving these reviews. Thank you for all the reviews that have come in over the last few days here since that hurricane episode. Wow. And if you haven't left a review or if you're listening on Spotify or Google or CastBox or somewhere else that doesn't have reviews, I appreciate you too. I, I understand. I just, thanks for being here. And thanks to Smickless for this review. It's titled, No One is Better Than CVV. I've been listening to the podcast since it originally started, and each interview is unique as it is knowledgeable. I grew up a huge wrestling fan and hearing all these crazy stories that wrestlers I grew up watching, and even some of the newer wrestlers tell, wishing the interview would never stop. I recommend the podcast to anyone who loves the wrestling world as it is a perfect 10. Shout out to Sean Spears. Well, thank you, Smickalist. Sean Spears is pretty awesome. And he gives deadly chops. Trust me. I know. So please keep those reviews coming. My birthday is next week. My birthday is on May 19th. Don't tell Kane. May 19th is my birthday. So it would be a lovely birthday gift to get a review from you. I was actually going to do one of those videos on my YouTube channel where I open random packages that are sent to my P.O. box. That was going to be like the birthday idea. But, you know, with everything going on in the world right now, I think we'll hold off on that till, till next year. Opening mail from strangers during a global pandemic might not be the best idea. But I'll tell you what is the best idea. Sitting down with Aiden English, a.k.a. Matt Raywold. He is so talented, and his theater background and his acting background really gives him a different outlook on being a wrestler. We talk about how he acted in high school, how he went to college for theater, but how he always wanted to be a pro wrestler. So after graduating from college, he picked up his whole life, moved from Chicago to Tampa, rented a random room from a random person that he found on Craigslist so that he could train at FCW. It ended up leading to him getting signed from WWE less than a year later, which is crazy. We talk about how the Villains were formed with Simon Gotch, his run with Rusev and Rusev Day, how commentary for 205 came together, 205 Live, marrying into the legendary Guerrero family, and what his plans are now that he's been released, and he has all kinds of options in front of us. So please, put your hands together. For Aiden English. The drama king himself, Matt. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thank you for having me. I, I'm trying to get to your beard level here. For uh, anyone who's watching this on YouTube, maybe there's people that are listening. I have no idea what we're talking about here. But uh, your beard, looking very good. I mean, so I'm, luckily this camera is pretty low quality. Uh, because... <laughs> It is in a frightful, so the one thing, like, I know you want to grow like a beard. You want to feel like I have this full thing, but especially in the world we're in now when not a lot of parlors and stuff are open, this thing is like, try oh, it. I that. Yeah. I mean, like you can, I can do some gross things with this right now. And it, it my wife is not with it. So who knows what's growing here at this point. So <laughs> You, are you based in Orlando? No, I'm in Chicago. 
Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Okay, so uh, you are actually an hour behind uh, our time zone right now. Yeah. Okay. So how's everything going for you in quarantine? I mean, it's not. It's not, all things considered. Honestly, it's not too bad. Um, it's just I was saying before, just trying like anyone else uh, not to climb the walls and I'm getting outside more than usual. Actually, which is weird in a sad state of affairs and I'm kind of embarrassed to say like but uh it does feel like I maybe mean, it's just with the arrival of spring and everything but uh I've got I've got a lot of whiskey to keep me company so that's been helpful um for anybody who knows me that is does me just fine is it is it too early I mean it's 10 a.m where you are is it too early to be drinking whiskey I mean you know what they say it's five o'clock somewhere uh I remember having one time I went to me, I meant to meet someone like, like a whiskey pal kind of thing in, in Kentucky. And we were recording the same thing. We were recording a podcast at that was like eight thirty nine 9 in the morning. Wow. And he's like, well, what do you want to have a pour of to start the show? And I'm like, okay, this is, I guess this is happening. So it's never too early for the, for the right occasion. Well, I'm very proud of the fact that I bought a whiskey ice bomb maker recently on, oh, on Amazon. Okay. I, I spent far too much time looking this up to find one that made the perfectly clear ones, which I'm sure you're very familiar with this. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, there's a little trick. I mean, it takes a little bit more work, but there's a trick to do it where you can get like untold amounts of perfectly clear ice. Okay. And it's called an igloo cooler. Ah. So literally, that's a, so like there's, a, I mean. For sake of ease, you can you can spend a couple bucks and you can get those molds. But literally, if you just get an igloo cooler and you have like a freezer in your garage or something, the way ice and water freezes, the oxygen and everything in that big of a space in those coolers will all go to one side. So I forget if it's either the top or the bottom. And then you basically just get it out and you carve out your blocks or balls or whatever, and they'll be perfectly clear on the bottom. Well, I didn't think this was going to turn into a chemistry class, but this is incredible. Something you learn. I learn something new every day, and that's about the extent of my scientific knowledge. So do not press me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously the news came out. You know, it's about a month ago, almost to the day here. How are you dealing with? You know, that was a place you worked for a lot of your adult life. Uh, how are you dealing with you know the fallout from this? I mean, it's the thing about it. It's like I'm not even thinking about that so much because that is weird as. That kind of thing happens all the time. I mean, in, in this world, entertainment in general, it's so fickle. You're up, you're down, everything. That honestly is weird. It doesn't bother me. It's it's that happening under the context of what's going on in the whole world right now. That That's what makes it really stand out and unique because if this were to happen at any other time, honestly, it doesn't phase you. At least for me, I, I feel like I wouldn't be because you hit boom, I'm going to start doing these shows and go or work here, but everything is at a standstill. So it's hard. You want to hit the ground running and you want to keep any kind of momentum, any kind of buzz or whatever. I'm going to take and roll with it. That's that's really hard to do right now. And that is the hardest thing to deal with uh, out of all of this thing. And it's, um, I, I said in the video the day after it happened, though, I'm like, I feel relatively lucky compared to so many. I have so many friends, uh, especially with all this whiskey stuff, like in the bartending and service industry. Right. And so like for me, even to have made it this long and then, you know, I feel actually kind of lucky compared to so many people who are in dire straits. 
And, and you mentioned in a video as well that it's, you know, it's not just the people whose names were announced. There was a whole bunch of people in WWE behind the scenes who you know, weren't even mentioned that are now out of work. Yeah. And, th and that's the thing. And like, we often will say, you know, the behind the scenes people, but I mean, like there's, in addition to all our tech and crew and everything, there is an entire corporate office building full of people make, keeping the lights on, keeping the payroll going, keeping the, you know, the plane tickets coming and all this stuff. So, so many people make this ship run. And uh, so a lot of between, you know, furloughs and uh, layoffs and everything like that, it, it, was a, it was a tough day for the entire company. Did you have any sort of indication that when COVID hit, when they started having the shows with no audience, that maybe these cutbacks were going to happen? I think you'd have to think you were... In the back, even when you didn't want to admit it, in the back of your mind, you're got to think, this is, I mean, this is affecting NBA, MLB, like every major sport and every major form of entertainment. Like, you'd be, you'd feel foolish if you didn't think, like, oh, something could happen here. Uh, you didn't want to. I know I didn't want to just because I knew, like, our television deals were strong and international television and everything. I was like, okay, maybe we'll be okay. But I think it, it was hard not to think something might happen considering what was going on everywhere. Well, I think what was so interesting about this situation is, I mean, we're two months in now. Nobody thought that this was gonna last more than a week or two or three, or at least certainly weren't prepared for this. And who knows how much longer this is gonna go. Yeah, then that, that's it's the unknown. That's the scariest thing on planet earth is not knowing. And, um, and you, you see it now with all, all these, uh, People, you know, the argument, do we open up? Do we not? California just got three more months, uh, supposedly, um, which is which is hard. And, like, it's funny because while I was still working, uh, of course, you know, I'm on the I'm, – I'm getting paid and everything. And so I'm on the train of, like, hey, let's be as safe as we can. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I am still absolutely on that train. But now being – having what happened happen, I, I am sympathetic. To the, to the people who are like, I know it's dangerous, but God, I got to work. I got to pay my bills and something. So I understand that a little bit better now, but it's such a razor thin line of, of, of what, what's appropriate and everything like that. But it, the most important thing is just for everybody to stay safe. Yeah. When I, I hope that you and your family are, you know, doing well throughout this time. When you look ahead, July 18th is the, you know, the day when you're able to go work elsewhere, do other things. Do you kind of look at that as like a benchmark of like, okay, this is when I'm going to start, you know, being able to do other things from now? I mean, yes and no, because one, it's like, in a way, I'm, for certain things, I'm already looking now because you got to look ahead. But much like we just said, I don't know what July 18th is going to look like. Yeah. You know, who knows? You know, I've had, I've had people reach out and everything, but everything, everybody who does is like, hey, we'd love to have you we'll let you know when we are able to do things like, you know, which could be maybe later this summer might be this fall, who knows? So it's hope I'm hoping and week by week, I'm hoping by that point, we'll have at least a better idea of how much, you know, again, if it is going to be the end of summer, if it is going to be early fall, or if we're going to already be running things by the time July hits, but it's, it's staying in touch with people, reaching out to people. And, um, and in that, in that meantime, I'm trying to do everything I can. And like, honestly, this world here 
I have to imagine it's going to be exploding and that digital broadcasts and content, everything, you know, online is going to be huge. So trying to dive into more of that and take advantage of that. Well, I've always loved to do my interviews in person. I would have much preferred to be able to sit next to you and do this interview and shake your hand when, you know, if that was uh, something we were able yeah. to do. But we've all had to make adjustments to this. And what's been cool is watching you do wrestling with whiskey and really diving into that. Like, this is something I feel like you might be just as passionate about whiskey as you are about wrestling and about drama and performing. Yeah, it's in it really kind of sidled up on me when it, when it first started kind of happening and it, it all started, I, I've said this somewhere before, but like started off as just, I remember being in Orlando and uh, I was into like cocktails and stuff for a little bit, but then I was like, I was like, all right, you're getting older. You're not going to do, I'm not doing shot in a beer anymore uh, kind of thing. My dad had always sipped on scotch and everything. I'm like, you're going to drink like an adult. You're going to appreciate something for what it is. You're not just going to slam something down like a college kid anymore. And so I, I just, I kind of picked whiskey because my dad drinks whiskey. I didn't know all the different kinds and everything. And I just started sitting on my couch drinking, having a Coke and a whiskey and chasing until I no longer needed the chaser, et cetera. This, it was like, it was like an exercise in like, I just wanted to make like, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. So it doesn't, and not spit it out because like it's like a workout you're just training but then it opened up and i started tasting wild things and then you don't realize how much there's like a whole subculture to like whiskey like the way we have like there's wrestling fans and you know they have their role-playing accounts right and like and forums and conventions and everything like that there's kind of a similar thing in the whiskey and especially like American whiskey and bourbon right now, Facebook groups are unreal. Uh, Reddit, you know, subreddits just dedicated to bourbon people, you know, selling bottles illegally um, on different various uh, forums and stuff like that. And people yelling at each other over what's good and what's not. And it's crazy, dude. It's a whole world. This is the thing I love about the internet is you can find the most obscure interest, not saying that whiskey is obscure, but you can find the most obscure niche thing get online and realize oh my god there's a million other people that like the same thing there is life's a niche and then you die like there's there is a niche for everything that's that's what this kind of helped me discover i'm like there is you no matter comic book sci-fi film television theater all the sports literally there are communities like rooted everywhere are you thinking of making your own bourbon <laughs> So that's that's always that's always the question, right? Like, when are you gonna put out your own? When are you yeah. gonna put out your own? And it's kind of a funny thing because as, as cool as that would be, one, I will never ever say like I'm gonna make my because I don't have that knowledge. I told you before, that is the extent of my scientific knowledge is weird knowledge yet. You can learn anything with the internet. Sure, and give me 10 to 15 years, and maybe I'll know enough. But uh, the thought of maybe one day like partnering with people, with the people who do know, um, there's a bunch of different options to maybe do that. I would love to do something like that or even just be involved with certain up and coming brands because there's a ton going on in the craft world, just like craft beer. There's craft whiskey distilling and everything. Um, but the, it's just like the wrestling community. The whiskey community is not very forgiving of people who don't like pay their dues. Oh. So that's, 
that's the other side of it. Like they, they're a little sketchy about whenever like a new celebrity endorses something. Like when McConaughey can't, started coming out for Wild Turkey, everybody started poo pooing him. Like who is this guy? What is what does he know and stuff like that? So that there's a there's an attitude like that a little bit in the whiskey world too. They want genuine people. Well, look, if The Rock can be a, a tequila guy, you can be a whiskey guy. I'm more than happy to uh, stand shoulder to shoulder with that. <laughs> what is your go-to? If you and I were to hang out tonight and, and have a, a drink of whiskey, what kind of whiskey and how do you prepare it? Well, so I'm in all kinds. I'm getting into all kinds now, but bourbon is what brought me to the ball game. Okay. Um, and... Hmm. Well, let's let's take a look. Oh my. Uh -oh. Um, oh my God! Look at this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take this full screen so everybody can appreciate. Yeah. it. There it is. So this is my baby collection, um, which uh, is about I'm probably at about 110 bottles now. My God. Um. Yeah. So I'm spoiled for choice is is the thing uh there's so so much and there's super fancy like rare stuff there's bottom shelf you know ten dollar stuff um uh, for someone who's new to bourbon there's about a there's about a million different i will say and for anybody who's just listening to this and not watching it on youtube that is a closet matt has a yeah. closet full of whiskey yeah so it's yeah my wife was generous enough to in our in our office in our apartment here let me just, I'm like, can I, cause so we used to live in a house in the suburbs and we moved into the city. So space was a little bit less. I used to have a basement where it was all up on the walls and everything. So I was like, shoot, where am I going to put it? Cause one, it needs to be out of direct sunlight and, uh, and then you need some, just somewhere to go. And I'm like, can I please have the closet? And she was nice enough to let me do it. But, um, if you're new, if you're new to bourbon, I strongly recommend Buffalo trace. It's cheap. It's easy to find. Super delicious, um, and a great, not too high in proof because my, I love super high proof stuff because to me that's where the most flavor lives. But uh, not everybody likes to get punched in the face the first yeah, time. Okay. Anything. That puts hair in your chest. Yeah, as they say. So uh, I always like to start people, ease them in. You got to ease them in. Now, do you drink it? straight do you drink it with ice how do you drink it i i'm i'm a neat guy i i'm a straight up because again i want to taste it exactly as they intended it to be kind of you know taste uh which is depending on what where they proof it at and everything like that but uh there's a lot of snobs in the world who will tell you if you add ice you're a heathen and all this stuff but you talk to these guys who make it the, these distillers who've been doing this for 50 years they don't give a crap. You can take their $800 bottle. Like if you want to pour it with Coke and ice, if you're buying the bottle, I want you to enjoy it however you enjoy it. And I agree with that policy. But for me, I'm generally a neat man. I think the real takeaway from this is anybody who's watching this or listening to this that has a passion for something, dive yeah. into it. Like double down on it, triple down on it. And you know, you'll be surrounded by other people within the community who appreciate this and love this. As much as you do. Yes, especially, and God, especially right now, there's a lot of time at home and like, well, we're on the internet, we're on our phones and stuff. There, yeah, if there's something you love, you know, 
go after it, at least connect with other people. Because I'm telling you, whatever it is, I don't care how weird, twisted, and profane you think it is, or whatever it is, man, there is a community out there for everybody. And I think, I think actually, to kind of segue a little bit more serious, that's an important thing to kind of say right now, too, just because a lot of people feel isolated. A lot of people do feel alone. They don't have, they're not living with a big family. They might be living literally on their own. And so sometimes that connection, even if it's just with a hobby or something like that, that you like, find these groups, find these message boards, forums, whatever they are, and you'll find a community that will support you. I don't know if everybody is aware of this, that Vicky Guerrero is your mother-in-law. Is she a whiskey drinker? She is a beer drinker. Uh, I tried to, I remember I selected my own single barrel of bourbon last year and uh, I brought it to her house uh, and her, her brother. So my uncle-in-law it lo- loves whiskey. He's actually getting into bourbon. So I talk with him all the time about it. So me and, me and him had it. We tried to get her to have some and she'll, she'll have it with Coke or something like that. But she, she's more of a beer lady. And I, I guess, you know, the, the uh, other thing here is you're also part of the Guerrero family. Uh, you know, you've, you've married in to the Guerrero family. How does that feel? As a wrestler, you are in the, the Guerrero family now. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's another it's a weird question. And it's not the first time. In fact, uh, Vicky was kind enough to have me, have me on her show not too long ago. And she kind of asked a similar thing, it's, which was really weird coming from her to ask that same question. Uh, so a little bit of pressure. Um, but for me, I try not, like, I never really think of it in that context. I just, I don't. Um, I'm not saying I haven't. And like, so of course there's the little kid in me who was a huge fan of the Guerrero family. And so it's like, oh, that's, that's kind of a neat thing. But to me, it all comes down to, I've said it before. I just fell in love with a girl who happened to have a famous last name. You know, like she, she's all I care about and our relationship never really had much to do with that at all. And so for me, it was just, it was just about us and all of that was just superfluous on the outside. So I don't think of it in terms like that because it's it's just us. And that's all it is. Was your wedding like a Guerrero family reunion? No, we could, our wedding was really small. God, it wasn't even a Raybolt family reunion. I mean, like it, it was it was small, intimate. It was in the Orlando area. And uh, her, her mom came, her sister came, her best friend. And like my parents and brothers were there. We had a few friends. Um, but that, that was pretty much it. So uh, a lot of people were busy and plus we were in Florida and nobody else. We were the only ones in our respective families living in Florida. So a lot of older relatives, nobody wanted to fly and stuff like that, which honestly for us was fine. I'm, I'd much rather deal with, you know, 30 people than 300. So I'm good with that. So it was, it was actually really nice, intimate and lovely. I'm guessing the answer is because we're both wrestlers, but is that how you and Shaw met? Uh, I mean, yes. Uh, she. So we first met at FCW, way okay. you know, back before anything was NXT. So um, I remember walking in, and you know, like you're just, I'm, a, I'm a wide-eyed kid and everything like that. And I, I knew, I knew she was down there amongst so many other people, and obviously her, her lineage and everything like that. But uh, so, like, the first time around when I was there, I was, like, I was, like I said, I was, like, a shy school kid. And then uh, and then she had left, 
And we had kind of moved to Orlando. Things became NXT. I was kind of getting my feet under me. I was just start. I think I had just literally started the whole singing drama king, throwing the roses uh, kind of presentation on television. And she came back and she claimed, I never felt this way. She claims, she's like, you had a whole new confidence about you and all this stuff. She's like, I noticed you this time. Plus, I guess she was single. She was not single the first time around. Um, that's the difference yes and uh so we just started talking and uh kept talking and then we lived in the same apartment complex which just that's dangerous which (laughs) doesn't everybody live in that complex to be fair in oh man in uh tampa for yes there was like two that every like it was like a big wrestler commune i remember i lived literally across like the breezeway from Big E. Uh, I used to go grocery shopping with Paige. Uh, like Rick Victor lived on the other, and Mike, uh, Mike, I almost called him Mike Dalton. Tyler Breeze uh, lived like one, two doors down. Yeah, it was, it was like a, yeah, it was a wrestler commune. Uh, people spread out a little bit more in Orlando, but but they still found like I had Sami Zayn and somebody else in my complex too. So we all we all migrated to the same kind of areas. Well, the reason I asked you at the start of the interview, are you in Orlando, is because I feel like that's just the place where most wrestlers live. So how were you able to make the transition uh, from living there for many years to now living in Chicago? I mean, very easily because it's home. Um, this you weren't, you weren't tied down? You, you didn't have to be close to the Performance Center? No, I mean, that. I only moved once, uh, once I was on the main roster. Okay. So uh, that that was kind of the, that was always my long term plan. I always wanted to come back home. Um, I remember hating Florida at first. I I, I'm a, I grew up in Chicago, cold weather. My first six weeks in Tampa, I swept through my sheets every single night, and I kept the AC on like sixty five, and I still swept through my sheets. Wow. But I did learn I did learn to love it, and I appreciated it in the, in the winter months when you would. Uh, I was we would do shows in Minneapolis and then would land in Orlando or something like that. It was you know seventy five degrees. I, I learned to appreciate things like that. But um, no, the plan, the long term play for me was always to come back to Chicago. And luckily, uh, by the time that rolled around, Shaw was uh, she was down for it. Uh, she just demanded that we get proper uh, boots and a coat and uh, prepare her, but. Bless her heart. The first time she ever visited my family was she came right after Christmas time and like she didn't know. So she had like a tiny coat and like she wore this like very like sheer dress to like go to dinner and like all this stuff. And she had no idea what to expect. And it was freezing. So uh, she got a, a rude awakening and still somehow managed to agree to come back here. So I'm very, very lucky. You know, I find it hard to believe that you say you were like a shy kid when you went to FCW because, you know, you're a drama kid. And I, mm-hmm. I, I was in drama in high school. I know what the drama kids were like. They're usually like the, hey, everyone, I'm here. Ta-da. And it, it seems strange for me to hear that you were shy. So I've always found they're either one of two two ways they're they're that there's the it's it's kind of like people and athletes like there's there's the type a's there's the people who yeah they're look at me and they're very generally very extroverted but a lot of performers and like i see this a lot like the comedy world and stuff too they're really introverted and the performing 
is there one way to kind of let it all out? Because most of their life and everything, they're very, they're very inward, they're quiet, they're introspective, um, shine, insecure. That's the crazy thing. A lot of these people who go up and literally bare their souls sometimes on stage and everything are some of the most insecure people. I mean, the argument to me, why else do we go out in front of audiences of strangers and beg for their for their cheers and their claps and their chants and everything like that? Because there's some little insecure kid inside us all along. So is drama your first love? <sighs> Almost. I would say that right before that was writing. Okay. Um, I Yeah, I grew up, again, that, it was the shy kid. I was way too shy to perform anything, especially like, it was like middle school and stuff. There was no way I was getting up in front of anybody. Um, but I would write like poems and songs and short stories. And I loved doing that stuff. And then uh, it took it took till almost the end of high school. And then I started playing music uh, with my friends. And it took till like the end of high school till somebody said, why don't you try out for like a play or do something? I think you'd be good at it. So I gave it a shot. And then I really, really fell in love with it. And what was the first play that you were in? First, first play I was ever in was a play called Translations by Brian Friel. Um, it, was in, yeah, it was in my high school. First thing I'd ever tried out for in my life, and I got the leading role, not to brag, uh, which required, uh, again, as like a 17-year-old kid with no acting experience, required me to do a British dialogue and an Irish brogue interchangeably. Because wow. the, whole, the whole thing was like, this British officer who was going to like the ancient Irish people. And so the Irish brogue was supposed to represent speaking like Gaelic, but we didn't actually speak Gaelic. But I decided to like talk to this person in, in an Irish brogue a little bit like this, you know, and then to the, over here, this is what they said, you know, they were trying to tell you this. Oh, well, the officer trying to tell you, you know, like I literally on stage, I don't know I'd ever done in my life. Uh, Did you sing in this too? No, this was. <laughs> if I had to sing in two different accents, I would have been done. <laughs> um, no, that was just a, that was a straight play. Wow. So when did you discover that you actually could sing? Because you th you sing very theatrically. Um, you know, when did you realize that you could do that? Um, well, the secret is I can't. Um, <laughs> Come on. I, I tell that to everybody. I'm like, I faked it. I'm not that good. Um, I just on it. So like I playing music, I learned to carry a tune. Um, I, I didn't sing in choir. I didn't take vocal lessons. I never did musical theater really. Uh, I think on my Wikipedia it says I did. I didn't. Um, I did mostly straight theater. Uh, but um, I just I I thought, but I thought musical theater was easier. I remember this when I was at FCW thinking of a character. I'd done all this acting, but just straight like theater like edward albee like people don't get that like that's that's hard that takes a lot of explanation to an audience like hey i'm the guy who does like okay like shakespeare maybe you get or glengarry glenn ross you have to really tell them but if you go hello they go oh that guy's a, you know opera singing douche get that so it, i was like all right i'm gonna have to take my ability to quote unquote carry a tune and just turn it up you know, a notch or two. And so I forced the vibrato and eventually it just kind of became second nature and just ran with it. 
I want to take a quick pause because our sponsor for this episode and many episodes before this, Bet Online, has been awesome. And with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking, well, there's actually nothing to bet on now. And that's where you'd be wrong, because our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing Vegas to you. If you're missing the NFL, no problem, because Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. It's just like the real thing. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices. You can even bet on Nathan's hot dog eating contest. And it's all open 24 hours a day, and it's all online. Go to betonline.ag, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, it's your online wagering solution. Also, a big thank you to our sponsor, Blue Chew. And guys, are you looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Mmm. Get to BlueChew.com because BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that makes your performance in the bedroom on a whole new level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night. You can even take them on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office and have that conversation. And you don't need to spend time waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once you're approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. So here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order for free when you use that promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 for shipping. Once again, that's BlueChew, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, and the promo code is BLUEWIRE. What I find so interesting about your career path is you could have taken a completely different direction. You could have gone in a completely different direction and been a stage actor, been a commercial actor, been a film actor. How did wrestling get worked into this? Because I get, you know, wrestling's obviously performing, but it's a very different kind of performing than what you were doing in high school and college. Yeah. I mean, there's no other way to say, I mean, it, I guess, Getting back to your earlier question, wrestling was my first love, really. Um, before I even gotten into like music and stuff like that, I was, I was trying to watch. I loved watching wrestling. Um, I wasn't into it as like a like a little like five year old kid. I didn't sit on my dad's knee watching it. But as I was uh, growing up, during right at the height of the Attitude Era, I remember all my friends would talk about it at school. But I didn't have cable TV, so I couldn't watch Monday Night Raw on the USA Network. So I was like what the hell who, what is this stone cold steve what is who's drinking beers and punching people like what is this sounds like the coolest crap on earth um and so like i would i would try to go to friends houses and watch it i remember when shotgun saturday night was on that was on like local stations so i could see what was happening and watch like al snow versus taka michinoku or something like that um and that was even that was like so much for me and i loved it and then i remember smackdown came on upn and then finally we did get cable television and I was, I watched, I never missed an episode of Monday Night Raw for like seven or eight years. Um, it was just that, that was my first love. That is what I always wanted to do. I, and I was going to find a way to do it. In fact, I think the, one of the reasons I pursued acting 
I really loved it when I started doing it, but I was like, hey, if I want to wrestle, this will help. Because if I can perform and be in front of an audience and yeah. just know a character, I'm like, I know that's going to help. And then I did gymnastics in high school for this almost the same reason. Like I, I had a trampoline as a kid and I like to flip around, but I was like, Hey, if I can learn how to do this, well, I could do this off the ropes or I could do, I could be an acrobatic wrestler or something like that. Um, that's the only reason, uh, you know, a six foot two, 110 pound kid joins gymnastics. <laughs> I didn't do wrestling. I even, even then I knew I'm like amateur wrestling. Psh, like I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do that. Plus I would have been flattened. Um, like, no, I'm going to do gymnastics and learn backflips and stuff like that. And actually it, it came in handy a lot. I, so, you know, you, you started working on the Indies and you got signed to WWE like very quickly. How did that happen? That's an excellent question that I wish I had the full answer to. Um, yeah. Cause when, uh, when I was like within a year. Yeah. Less because I, when I was finishing up with college. Because I was my parent, I wanted to go to wrestling school right out of high school. Um, my parents' thing was get a degree. Mm. I don't care what in. They're like, get a piece of paper that says four years. I went to school. So somebody, if and if this doesn't work out, we believe in you and we love you. But if this doesn't work out, you at least have a degree in something. So, but at the end of it, I, I'm looking up schools, and there were a couple in Chicago, but at the time, nothing very reputable. And so I knew there, I knew FCW, Steve Kern was offering like on the side, just like beginner's classes. Um, and so I was like, well, those guys train the WWE guys, yeah. you know, at FCW. So I'm going to go learn from them. So I rented a room off of Craigslist in, in a stranger's home in Tampa, Florida. Wow. Um, and the only, the only reason I did is because I, um, when I contacted him, he told me, that like there was like a little pool house or something. He goes, there's another one of the wrestler guys. He's staying in there. So I was like, okay, there's two of us. I'll be okay. Um, but I literally, I, I packed up. yeah, I packed a duffel bag and went down there for the three month class. Uh, with Norman Smiley primarily, um, who was incredible, had a great rapport with him. Um, I just, I was able to pick it up pretty quickly and I loved it. And, Met a great group of guys and girls down there. And then basically Norman just kind of was like, hey, I think you could be good at this. Keep it up. That was all That was all I had at the end of it. I came back home, got in touch with a couple, yeah, like you said, a couple indies here. But then, so I got home from training in like April. I got contacted from WWE in October. And I'll never forget it because it was on my birthday. And... Um, and I was like, that's a coincidence. And it was at the time, it was this guy named Ty Bailey, who everybody hated. Um, but he was running, he was running like talent relations. And it was just this obscure out of the blue email that said like, hi, Matt, how are you? That was it. Oh, I'm like, but he, you know, from Ty, you know, WWE talent, I was like, what the, what do you mean? How am I? Uh, Frank, I'm, I'm good. I wrestled. Here's, and I, of course, I just started giving him the resume and stuff. And then, um, and then Norman called me and uh, was like, hey, I'm not sure if, he, they, if somebody's reached out yet, but he's like, he had talked to me and just had asked me if I had had any of my students or anybody who knew that, you know, that I would basically put over or that, you know, that I was interested in. And he's like, I mentioned your name. And I said, I said, you're, you know, got a lot of talent. And 
that was it. He goes, I didn't, I don't know if they're going to get in touch with you. And then I told him that they did. And he goes, okay. He's like, just, he goes, just keep in touch with him to uh, stay on them. Cause sometimes, you know, they can get lost and everything. And, and then I did. And then eventually like after staying in touch a few times, like I think a month later, John Laurinaitis called me and um, just didn't even like introduce himself or but like, didn't even say hello. That was, he goes, hey, this is John Laurinaitis. Uh, by the way, we're going to offer you a developmental contract. It's going to start like this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, so all right, talk to my secretary. Click. And that was it. And then I reported to FCW about two, two and a half months later. Wow. All right, so do you remember the wrestler that was living at that same house, and do they still wrestle? Does that person still wrestle? No, they, they did for a little bit. They were from the same uh, part of Illinois. They were from up here outside Chicago. Yeah. Uh, his name, his name was Ron Petoskey, but he, he wrestled under Ronnie Metro. Um, I remember our, I wrestled him for like our final match for the training class. And he wrestled, he spent, I remember, and if he watches this, I love you, buddy. But it was so funny because he spent 250 bucks on a pair of patent leather boots, but then couldn't afford gear. So he went to the mall and got a pair of striped Hanes underwear <laughs> and wore that for his gear. Meanwhile, I'm wearing, I did something similar, but I didn't, I, I couldn't even afford the boots. So I just had like, I borrowed somebody's kick pads, was wearing Asics wrestling shoes. And I got like a, almost like biker short Speedo from the mall, same thing. And I wore that, but uh, he wrestled for a little bit, but uh, but I don't think he does anymore. Wow. The thing that I love at the heart of this story is you said, I'm passionate about wrestling. The best person who can train me lives in Florida, which is not close to where you live. And you picked up your life and moved down there. And, you know, all paths ended up leading to WWE for you. Yeah, it was like, that's, I'm not a big fake person, but that kind of, at least that series of events in my life really seemed like it was just supposed to happen the way it happened. Like it was especially like, especially like that. Like the fact I know I was an adult, but still I was like a 22, 23 year old kid. And I tell my parents I'd never left home before. I'd never moved out of state. And I'm like, Hey, I got a room off Craigslist. I'm going to throw $1,500 to this wrestler guy who I've never met. And they're going to train me to wrestle. And I'm going to go there for three months at least. If, uh, and yeah, so I'll talk to you guys when I get there. It was really silly and foolish sounding when, when you say it out loud now, but that, and then yeah, meeting Norman and just the training and then staying in touch with him and all this and everything kind of happened the way it needed to happen. And then, you know, I think that the, what really put you on the radar for a lot of people was the VOD villains and being paired up with Simon Gotch. Take us along in that storyline or that that timeline. How long from when you got signed to when you really got that first, you know, real break? So, I mean, so I got I started in February of 2012. Um, and the first, I mean, even before the Vaude Villains, like I said, it was that Drama King. I got a little run. I was doing those matches with Big Cass yep. and um, and stuff like that on NXT first. And I, that was a great time though because I got to wrestle. I don't know. I, to this day, I don't know why, but they were putting me in the ring with guys like Sheamus, guy Rob Van Dam. Um, I never, I've had, I had a lot of matches with uh, with Neville Pac um, at the time. So I, I was 
I felt so lucky to get some of those matches. But that all started, again, I started in February 2012. I worked a lot, like just kind of learning and I did a lot of like enhancement work for, for some of the up and coming talent. But probably about a year and a half after I started, maybe a little less, uh, is when I kind of started getting my first run of things. And what, what was it that they saw in you and that they saw in Simon Gotch that went, okay, you guys would be good together? So the way I heard it was, so Dusty Rhodes pulled us aside and told us, told us this, that I think it was at an NXT. I had just finished up. I don't know. Again, I don't know if it was that run with Big Cass or I was. I did something with somebody else. And uh, Triple H was at TV, and Simon was new at the time. I think he had done like the Rosebuds thing uh, on TV a few times. And he's he's shown up. He had had the full handlebar, and he would show up to even when he wasn't working. Would show up to television pretty much in gimmick, in character, um, dressed you know dressed very well, mustache waxed up. Um, and so I think I heard Triple H was looking at him, interesting looking fella. Uh, here's English, this theater singing guy. He just kind of finished up what he's doing. So we're not sure what to do there. I'm like, well, what? This is some, this is like a weird, like a vaudeville sideshow thing is kind of the way it was presented to me. Like, they didn't know what either, but they were like, two interesting looking, two interesting characters. What's there? And so that Dusty Rhodes said, he's like, I don't, I don't know. But uh, he goes, you guys kind of get together, figure something out, and we'll, we'll present it to him because Triple H wants to see it. So uh, so we did. I went and I just went home that night, and I just kept the, the vaudeville thing in my head. And I'm like, well, I've always been a bad guy, so if I'm still a villain, I guess I'll be a vaudevillain. And screw it. Let's go with that. And they loved it, and the rest is history. Wow. Wow. And congrats because that worked out so yeah. well. Yeah. But then, you know, I guess the 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 real thing that puts you on everybody's radar and, you know, really got you over was Rusev Day, um, which, as I understand it, was supposed to be a one-off thing, one and done, and never happen again. As far as we knew, um, yeah, it was like the, Rusev was doing this thing with Randy, and I was like, I just happened, because I, I wrestled Randy once or twice that summer, just putting him over, just kind of just doing the thing. It was just an opportunity to work with the top guy. I, nothing nothing there. But they were like, all right, well, Rusev's part of this segment tonight too. And we're like, okay. And then they did that, and it was nothing really. And then the next week they're like, well, you've got this character. Like, Rusev's going to have this big celebration. How about you sing for him since you kind of helped him last week but didn't. I don't know. So they're like, okay. Um, so I remember had uh, had to get a – I got a call from Michael Hayes two, I think probably 48 hours before television, get a tuxedo and learn the Bulgarian national anthem. <laughs> so yeah, learn a, a song for tele, for you know national television in a language I've never spoken. Um, and get a tux, it's now Sunday morning at nine, find a tux shop that'll give you something pick up in time for you know tuesday morning or something like that wow. but by god i was on youtube looking up the thing listening to it for 12 hours straight and uh found found a men's warehouse and it was i think it was in like phoenix or something like that that somehow was able to get i got measured up they sent it out there and i picked it up in phoenix and all this stuff it was it was uh it was a very whirlwind segment 
that all came together. Harder getting the tux or learning the words to the Bulgarian national anthem. Getting the tux. Yeah, that's what I would think. Yeah, like, like you figure out whatever. I figured out the song. That was hard. But it was like I said, it was like a Sunday morning, so like nothing was open, or at least wasn't open till like two in the afternoon. And then to go to them and be like, "Hey, I need to get measured, and this needs to be ready for me to pick up, like to go on like Monday night, and it's Sunday afternoon, and in another state if possible." Like, so there was there was a high threshold of things that needed to be done, but somehow I found a great lady at the, like this men's warehouse near me, and she's like, "All right." Here's the thing. I'll send it to them. You can pick it up there. Just drop it off before you fly home and stuff. And somehow, some way, it worked. And well, and the segment worked too because oh, yeah. this ended up rolling on and being wildly successful and putting both of you guys over. Yeah, man, it was such a weird, random, um, but organic thing um, because it was just after that. You know, that that first segment was the first. Rusev Day, I think they called it that in a backstage segment or something. And then we kind of talked about it once more, like the following week. But then all of a sudden, people just started like chanting it, whether it was ironically or something at first. But then more and more people got involved. And it just, it really took on a life of its own. And I loved it because it allowed us to just really open up and have fun. And I think that's what people ended up connecting with, like long term. Yeah. What when when Rusev Day ended up disbanding and your your partnership with him, did you have a plan for what was next because I feel like you ended up, you know, doing commentary which you were very good at, but I felt like there was a missed opportunity there for you. Yeah, and that that's that's one of the things I wish um I would have gotten more of an opportunity with and to be fair, that's something I wish I would have fought harder for. I had ideas for sure. Um about ways to take, I wanted to take that Aiden English character and stuff that I had established with the, with the drama king and everything, but evolve it, make it a little bit more. Everyone always talks about being like darker and serious, and like I think that's lazy. But I wanted to flesh it out, and I wanted it to be a little bit more threatening, and I wanted it to be a little bit more maybe a screw loose or something a little bit more intriguing. So like I, my big thing was I wanted to be the tortured artist. And who just who couldn't stand the fact that his, his ultimate masterpiece or whatever couldn't could never be realized, and I'm driven mad by that kind of a thing. And I just thought that was I had all these ideas for vignettes, and I and I pitched them to some people, um, but as often happens, you know, it's constantly moving things, and it falls on either deaf ears or people who are too scared to pitch it themselves. And so that's where I wish I would have. I wish people would have listened to me. But I also wish I would have taken a little bit more initiative to go to the top brass and been like, so that's one lesson that I, that I took away from that. But um, but yeah, I think there, I, I agree. I think there was there could have been something really cool there. Doesn't mean that there can't be again though somewhere else or down the line or et cetera, et cetera. So I still have ideas. Oh, is that the plan? Is that the plan when you start working indies? When indies can start to be worked uh, to really start to craft this new darker character yeah i mean i think so i think there's 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 a lot of as they say meat left on the bone there um but there's also like there's a lot of that like baby face rusev day kind of persona that i i wouldn't mind exploring either because i think that was one of the things that we had fun and a hard time with is that 
for so long, we were clearly getting babyface reactions, pretty much treated as a babyface by the fans, but in the booking of it, we were on the heel side of everything. So, you know, we couldn't embrace it as much as someone like, I, I saw for us, this is getting, and uh, Xavier, Kofi, and Biggie, if, if I'm speaking out of turn, they'll let me know. But I mean, at the time, I'm like, I feel like this could almost be a New Day kind of evolution because they started off these kind of out there characters who were booked as heels, yeah. but the audience just fell in love with them to the point where you just, you had to, you had to turn him baby face. And I thought we were kind of on a similar path. We were these kind of goofy characters, odd couple, if you will. And but two bad guys who were just, the fans were loving more and more. So I'm like, I think we could be this really kind of unique, again, oddball couple, baby face tag team. And we got a couple little spurts in there, but I, I really think that could have been a lot of fun. So something to explore that option could be cool too. Well, there's certainly the possibility for a Rusev Day reunion, a Rusev Day world tour even. You literally uh, took the text out of my phone on the day everything happened. Was, uh, we texted each other back and forth. Just, hey, man, I hope, I hope you're all right and all this stuff. Thanks for everything that we did. And I, and I said this, I go, you know what? Hey, Rusev Day, you know, Indie World Tour. He goes, let's, he goes, let's do it. So the possibility is 100% there. Well, there we go. Well, hopefully, you know, hopefully indie shows can be running uh, sometime this year. And that's a possibility, I guess. Absolutely. So when, how did the transition then go from in-ring to commentary? From the outside looking in, it seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. And so, and, and of course, everyone's asked, are you hurt? What happened? Like, because I mean, like, that's, that's what seemed, happens to a lot of people. It's, it's something to do while you're injured, which I get. This is a great way to utilize someone. For me, it was just at the time, uh, after that Rusev day, I was trying to get things going. And it didn't quite. So I wasn't doing a whole lot at the time. Uh, no way, no which way around it. And I remember Tom Phillips had come to me and was just like, hey, do you want to try commentary? And he was just talking about coming to like the PC and recording and just kind of getting in the booth. And I, he's like, I think you'd be good at it. And I go, sure. Why not? Again, I wasn't, I didn't have much going on at the time. So I'm like, it's worth a shot. So I remember we did, we had a loop in Florida. And so at the end of it, I just, I went to Orlando. I got in the booth with him. I think we, we did like maybe an hour, 90 minutes, called a few matches, you know, it was fun. And I was just doing basic, super basic color. And I thought it went okay. And Tom said it, he was like, it was good. And so I thought that was it. I'm like, Hey, in a few months, we'll try this again. Maybe that's cool. Next, uh, the following week, I get to television and Michael Cole calls me in the gorilla. Say, like, hey, Tom said you did great. Uh, how do you, we're going to put you on 205 Live for the next three months and see if you like it. I go, okay. Um, he's like, yeah, you, you can still wrestle um, for on SmackDown and live events or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, just after SmackDown, you'll, you'll come and do 205 Live with us. Does that sound good? And I was like, sure. Why? I mean, why not? TV time is TV time. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the, the following week I started, which is like the week right before Royal Rumble. And so like my first week on commentary, I'm doing like the Royal Rumble kickoff uh, show, which had the Cruiserweight title on it and everything. And, and it just, it would have stayed on it every week thereafter. And then at that time I was starting to really, really like it. 
I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I'll tell you that much. I, I recently interviewed Alex Riley, who was in a kind of a similar situation. They said, hey, do you want to try some commentary? And he was like, sure. But he saw it kind of like as a, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he saw it as like a, a, a it was taking him away from the ring. And he was like, I, I like this, but I'm in my prime right now. I feel great. The more time I spend here in commentary means the less time I spend out there in the ring. Did you feel that same way at all? So it's funny so that you say that because I think it, Tom will remind me of this, but two years before that, I remember I was, I might even have been in NXT still, maybe just about to come to the main roster. And he had approached me when he was doing like NXT televisions, kind of in a similar way, like, hey, do you want to jump in the booth with me? And at the time, I think I had a similar reaction, like, ah, you're not getting me out of the ring. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, if, if people see me doing this, they're going to think I'd only do that. And like, I didn't, I was still very much in that, like, I was trying to navigate the shark filled waters thing. I had my back guard up. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm here to train. I'm here to wrestle and all this stuff. And so I kind of shut it down. And I kind of regret doing that. And so then when he came to me again, uh, that's, I was much more open. And then maybe, it's, you know, it's being, up on that main roster and seeing the ups and downs and, and the crazy politics of it all and, and the whirlwind that is that that roster and everything like that it was just like hey like i said i kind of came down from the rusev day thing i'm like look this is an opportunity to be on television to contribute something every single week that was a huge thing to me especially at the beginning because I think you've probably heard it from a lot of wrestlers. There's sometimes when you don't have something going on, it's the quote unquote, it's sitting and catering, right? You're trying to get things going and, you know, whether the roster is too full at the time or people aren't hearing your ideas. So you're, you're just showing up and, and you're not working. That's, that's a really hard feeling for a performer. And I know a lot of guys like that have felt that it sucks. And so that was one of the things that, at least at the beginning, the commentary was like, well, look, you know what? Every day I'm coming, I'm going to have something to sink my teeth in. I'm going to have a story to tell. I'm going to have talent to put over, stats to give, jokes to tell, whatever it was. You know what I mean? Like trying to do something to tell a story. And that's, and that's funny because that comes all the way back to what I, for my first love as a young kid, was writing stories, poetry, you know, trying to tell a story with words. As much as I love wrestling, and I will do it as long as I can, my power, my superpower is words. Written, spoken. I look, give me a microphone for days. Like, that is my that is my thing. And so I really saw it as an opportunity to do that. It was a live mic for 42 minutes every single week on the WWE Network. And that was the thing a lot of fans – especially at first would, oh, dude, are you getting punished? Are you getting this? Are you getting, and I, I would tweet back, and I, I bit back a little bit because, like, you know what? I wasn't doing anything on SmackDown, yeah. you know, a month ago. But, again, I'm like, I got a live mic every week on the WWE Network. And so, to me, that, that meant a lot. And so, I really fell in love with the craft of it. And I think that it showed that you're criminally underrated when you have a mic in front of your face, whether it's on a headset or it's in your hand, whether you're cutting a promo or you're doing commentary. And I look forward to seeing more of that from you, whether it's in wrestling or, you know, I know you have this background in acting. Maybe you'll start to do some more acting in these next few months and years. Yeah, man. Like that's, 
the opportunity is there and I'm, and I do, I do miss that. So I love, I love being on a set, you know, or whether it's, whether it's film set or a theater or anything like that. I, I miss, I miss that. So like I am hundred percent open to, to all those opportunities and everything too. I saw that you posted on your Instagram story yesterday that your left peck is torn. First of all, how did this happen? And second of all, are you going to get this fixed now that you're not wrestling all the time? So it's kind of a funny story, kind of a stupid story. So yeah, I remember it very, very specifically. So it was, this was 2015. This was shortly after me and Simon had won the NXT Tag Team titles uh, at Brooklyn. And it was a house show in Lakeland, Florida. And it was, I remember it was a six man, I believe the six man tag, me, Simon, and it might've been, his name Mike Rollis um, at the time. And we were going again. Baron Corbin was a babyface at the time. No, wait, we were babyfaces. What am I talking about? We were the good guy vaude villain. You, you remember this specifically. Yeah. I, so I thought, wrestler brain, trust me. You know what I mean? I'm lucky I remember this much. Uh, but no, so it was like a six-man tag. And I remember Baron Corbin's deep six, which uh, – I think I'd taken before. It's fine. And dude, that, that move is super easy. But on this night, just as I went up, wrapped my arm around his head to spin around and jacked my arm back. Mm. And I felt this, that classic, they say like a hot line go right down your arm. It just felt like fire. And I go, oh crap. I thought it was my bicep. And I would, I just hugged him. I'm like, son of a bee. Um, we, luckily we were going home finish the match was coming up of course the finish of the match was me doing a swan time so that was fun but uh did that went came back and told told the trainers like hey i, I think i might have like strained my bicep or something so they looked at it put some ice on it, it showed up the next day um and the next day it started getting black and blue all down my arm and in my pec and i was like that's where again i thought the bicep was torn i'm like but it didn't roll. When you tear your bicep, it rolls up your arm, and that didn't happen. So I, I was like, okay, maybe it's not that. And my pec was really swollen at the time. And so they were like, all right, they gave me some things for the pain. We put some ice on it. And they're like, we're just going to keep an eye on it and take you off shows for a little bit. So as I was kind of like rehabbing, I kind of started getting range of motion back. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. It feels weird. But like I can do this again. I'm like, all right, well, and of course I'm a young, stupid wrestler, so I'm like, well, if I can if I can go in the ring and I can show them that I can roll and I can bump and all this stuff, then I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna avoid being put out for four to six months. Yeah. Um and so I didn't like and I got my got my range of motion back and I didn't have pain. Um, but just as everything healed up, you start I'd start to flex and like this is this big divot right here, and I'm like yeah, that's that's a tear of some kind. And uh, but I kept I stayed healthy enough and I kept working and same thing I didn't want didn't want to stop it. And uh here we are some 5 years later <laughs> and I found ways to work around it and, and stay in shape. Thankfully, I just I can't bench press what I used to. I'll tell you that. Are are you in pain because of it? No. There's there's literally no pain. It's just, it's a weird, it's super weak. I can do push-ups, but like if I go too long, the one side just gives out. 
Is this something you need to get fixed? Need? Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, I can live a functional life without, without it. I just can't do a lot of push-ups. Would I like to? Sure. Funny thing is, I probably should have gotten it fixed before I left WWE. You know, WWE. Um, so, because I don't, now I'm in the same boat. I'm like, well, I don't want to pay for that. <laughs> you don't think they'd still cover it? I don't know. I mean, it's five years later. Yeah, but it happened on their watch. Maybe I'll ask. I think it's worth asking. I mean, what do I know? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Well, I mean, about. well, what do I know? I'm the idiot who's been wrestling around on a torn pec for the last five years. So it'd be nice to have two functioning pectoral muscles. Yes, that is true. The symmetry is much better. Yeah, especially for an occupation where you remove your shirt all the time. Yeah, but hey, this gives me an interesting gimmick. Maybe I don't know. Oh, this this could. It all comes back around to this new gimmick that you're working on. Oh yeah, it's it's torn from absolute like rage and despair or whatever. I literally ripped it off my own. It's yes, it's like ripping the heart out of my heart, right on the left side. Yeah, yeah. Print like your, like a piece of your heart was ripped out. Wow. Yeah, we're <laughs> on to something. <laughs> I love that through all of this, you just have this amazing positive attitude, and I I feel like. There's this real excitement for what's next for you. I mean, yeah, you, you got to be because I, and I don't, I never want it to seem like, I don't know how to put it, but like I'm blind to the hardship and everything like that. Like you don't want it, you don't want to come off as like foolish or like short-sighted because it, there's a lot of bad thing. Like it's very uncertain right now, but at the end of the day, if you get, if I give into that, you know, that kind of despair, it only cuts my legs out from underneath me. And I think that's true for anybody. It just, it stops you shorter than where you ever wanted to be. So, I mean, be as positive as you can, be confident in what you can do and what you offer and what you bring to the table and things will work out. And that's the way I feel. And a glass of whiskey doesn't hurt either. Or two. Or, or three, why not? Hey, the, the, the FDA recommendation is two. Two per day is perfectly safe. Well, for everybody who hasn't followed you yet on social media, you've changed your username. So can you let everyone know where they can find you now? Yeah, absolutely. So my primary accounts are now under Drama King Matt. Uh, that is on both Twitter and Instagram. But as well, of course, you can please follow uh, Wrestling With Whiskey uh, on Instagram. Uh, there's WrestlingWithWhiskey.com, Wrestling With Whiskey on YouTube. Um, and it's on Twitter as well, but it's Wrestle Whiskey because for some reason I couldn't do the full thing. So yeah, the name was Wrestle. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's Wrestle Whiskey, but it, it's still there. So search that on most of your social medias too, and it's there as well. As well as any merchandise, prowrestlingtees.com slash wrestling with whiskey. Were you surprised that Drama King Matt wasn't taken by like some 14 year old drama student? Yes. Thank God. I couldn't believe it when I, when I was working that out. I'm like, oh, please. Yeah, please don't be taken in. Thank God it wasn't. Wow. Uh, this has been a great hour. Thank you so much. This has been no. so fun hanging out with you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. This has been great. No, and uh, I'm so excited for what's next for you. And you and everyone else who was released, uh, you know, July 18th the date that we're kind of looking ahead to, to see, you know, what's next for you. And I'm so excited to see what's going to happen for the rest of the year and what's going to happen just in your career in general. 
Thanks, man. No, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited about all the possibilities. Well, thank you again. And uh, I hope that you and your family are well. Thanks, man. You too. Well, there we go. Great stuff there. Thank you for listening. Please take a screenshot. Tag me at Chris Van Vliet. Matt is at Drama King. Matt, and a, a big thanks to him for this conversation. Are you, are you seeing a theme here with Zack Ryder, Heath Slater, Hurricane Helms, now Aiden English? They are all so positive and are looking for the best in this situation. When it would be so easy to look for what's wrong in this situation and look for the negatives in this situation. They're looking for what's best in this situation. But that story about Matt moving to Florida and living in a random room he found on Craigslist, that one really spoke to me. I mean, so often in life, we find excuses as to like why we can't do something. It would have been so easy for Matt to say, ah, Florida's too far. I, I don't know anyone that lives there. It's too hot there. Ah, what if it doesn't work out? What if, whatever. But instead, he found every reason of why it would work and why it did end up leading him to an eight-year WWE career. Incredible. And I saw this quote from Michael Jordan that sums this up best. Some people want it to happen. Some people wish it would happen. Others make it happen. That's exactly what Matt did in this situation. So pumped to see what's next for him. Thanks for hanging out with us on this conversation. We got many more coming up. Hmm. How would you feel about an interview with Kurt Hawkins? It's next. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.